watch Tim wishes you good luck and Godspeed. Hey everybody, Space Monkeys, episode 4, blasting off about Zeitgeist. And we are very fortunate to be floating around with three key members of the team today. You probably all know Hutch, Kusama counselor and creator of the Polkadot Ambassador program. We have Mr. David Perry, co-founder of one of the first prediction market software companies in 2005. He's also helped drive prediction market adoption in General Electric, Qualcomm, Best Buy, and the U.S. government. And Logan Seether, a technologist with an engineering background. He set up the Thousand Validators program and is now the CEO of Zeitgeist. Logan, David, Hutch, welcome to the Space Monkeys podcast. Thanks, glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Super glad to be here. Welcome, everybody. David, I got a question for you. I mean, you've been in touch with prediction markets since roughly 2004. I believe. Um, oh my God, that's, that's like such a long time in terms of crypto. It's like 50 years ago. <laughs> that's right. Did you back then predict that you would be ending up building a prediction market on blockchain technology? Uh, no, um, I guess when I first learned about prediction markets in 2004, you know, I just uh, was so taken by them that I, I knew this had to be a big part of my career and it, and it has been since. And I'd say as I continued learning and, and working and implementing in different contexts and organizations, I did see the benefits of increasingly open and transparent systems. And by the end of that decade, was really coming up against some roadblocks that limited the effectiveness of what prediction markets were doing in terms of censorship resistance, for example. So I didn't predict the solution necessarily, but I, I did have a lot of angst over the problem that once Bitcoin uh, arrived and then, you know, other other uh, blockchain systems started to evolve, you know, the light bulb goes off. I'd call it a eureka moment, realizing what we could do with uh, an open architecture. That's why I like Bitcoin, because unless people were providing their own payments, basically uh, staking people up front, then uh, you had to use play money in these prediction markets for, for regular reasons primarily right and so that actually didn't mean that these markets you could still run a very effective prediction market with a, you know a sort of a virtual currency if you have really good incentives tied to that kind of outside the system but you did have to rely on that intermediary to make sure that all those things translate to to the real world and so bitcoin was really fascinating because we could solve that we, we could just pay in, in bitcoin uh, for the people that that performed well but it wasn't until Ethereum came along, particularly Augur and Gnosis was a huge fascination to me and, and the things that we could do now. And so I got involved um, in the blockchain world professionally in, in 2016. Around that time, met Hutch and Hutch and I have stayed connected. And then when I was thinking about starting another project, uh, had been talking to Hutch and then Hutch mentioned that Logan was working on a prediction market system, which is how the three of us got together about a year ago. Wow. Right. And uh, Logan, how did you get on the prediction market train here? Because you were working with the Web3 Foundation before. Yeah, I guess it goes back to like when I first jumped down the rabbit hole of like blockchain in general. I'd heard about Bitcoin and kind of played around with it a bit in like 2015, but uh, like didn't have like this revelation moment until about like a year later, year and a half later, when again, like for some reason, Ethereum popped up on my radar. And 
yeah, I just had a huge revelation that this was such a momentous technology. So just, you know, started doing research. Uh, one of the projects that captivated me was um, Augur at the time. Just was really interested by like the mechanism of prediction markets and the ability to get the information about future events. It was just a really nice um, kind of marriage between something that you would think is purely financial uh, with getting something a bit more subjective, right? Like a prediction on something. Each person has their own knowledge and information. And using the prediction market um, to basically just get that information into the open uh, was just a super captivating idea. Was Augur your first experience with this idea of prediction markets being used to collate this information? Yeah, so I was kind of brought to prediction markets through blockchain. Nice. And how about for you, Hutch? Um, when you were wrapping your head around all this, what was it that made it really click for you and made you want to dedicate all your time to realizing this vision? I kind of followed the same path that Logan followed and that I discovered prediction markets back whenever Augur was kind of popular. And I, I really got a chance to join the Ethereum community almost from day one. You know, I wasn't there for the launch of everything, but I found out about um, the kind of DAO happening um, with Ethereum in the early days on a Bitcoin talk forum. So I was I was pretty deep in the Bitcoin talk forums at that point. Um, and uh, so I, I got to experience all the everything from the kind of the very beginning of Ethereum. And um, I, I first learned about prediction markets whenever Augur was kind of making its rounds about and um, people were really excited about the potential for it. I even, you know, got to try out the platform a little bit. Um, but it kind of prediction markets kind of fell off my radar for the next three or four years. Um, you know, I, I did uh, community management for an Ethereum startup, which was focused on um, private messaging and, and building in a wallet and browser into the, the same app. It's called Status. Hmm. Um, and then and then went on to work at Web3 Foundation, where, um, like you were saying earlier, I was building the community um, for Polkadot. Um, but yeah, uh, really, it was at um, the beginning of this year when I, there, it was kind of a serendipitous moment whenever I, I started talking to David again, we were just friends, you know, and I, I just had a conversation with him. I was like, man, what is, what is missing in the Polkadot and Kusama ecosystems right now? And he was like, well, prediction markets, like this is something that's not a thing. And um, so, so Logan was actually working on this in the background. I didn't know. I mean, I knew personally Logan at, at the foundation and we collaborated together as colleagues, but um, I didn't know that he was he was working kind of in stealth on this project um, for prediction markets. Um, so it, I had already had this conversation with David and then I, Logan kind of announced that he was leaving the foundation. I said, hey, man, what's going on? Let's set up a call and um, found out he was working on this. So what really like piqued my interest after that, after just kind of like it was a, a really good kind of moment for us all to come together and work on this is that um, something that's been on my mind for um, quite a while is is the kind of final frontier of blockchain, which I believe is governance. Um, hmm. I, I think the future and the kind of um, it, it's it's become my opinion that with something like Bitcoin, that they're kind of like bedrock governance that that isn't very easy to change, and you kind of have to go through a uh, you know a BIP, and then the nodes have to accept it, and and kind of that's the way that upgrades happen in Bitcoin. Um, I just don't think that that's the future of a technology that needs to change and adapt and upgrade a lot. So it, it's really become my opinion that uh, governance is kind of this final 
thing that we need to have done proper across different blockchain networks. And the mechanism for prediction markets to actually improve governance um, on not only DAOs, but just the, I, I, I guess you can consider blockchain networks with on-chain governance now, like these meta DAOs too, right? Um, so it, yeah, that's, that's really what um, brought me further into fo the fold is like kind of my, my feeling and, and need and the, the ambition to help add new governance mechanisms to improve governance. Because it's my opinion also that there is no perfect governance mechanism. You know, like you, you, you just can't find the perfect governance mechanism, but we can employ lots of different kind of um, mechanisms that can hopefully um, equal to a better, a better solution than, than the ones that exist now. Where would you see the pain points of existing systems or the systems on Ethereum a few years back? And where are we today and which, which problems do you specifically um, change with Zeitgeist right now? The regulatory uh, environment and concerns with our, uh, around that um, and just the lack of clarity, it's not so much that prediction markets, you know, there's been, you know, rules against them explicitly, but there haven't been explicit allowances or, or the, the, the regulatory um, environment is just gray. And so you have the CFTC in the U.S. that would oversee prediction markets and has granted licenses to a few, a few projects, has also granted no action letters to a few projects. But the, the regulatory concerns have always just been this kind of, um, you know, uh, big uh, bag of, of uncertainty and, and various ambiguities. And so that's a challenge. A challenge is also in the implementation and, and opera, operation um, of prediction markets uh, that that's done well and, and really in designing the game, the the incentive structure, and and the really tight contracts with language that's not ambiguous. It's not going to cause you know confusion or fights at the end of the contract length where people are are now um, in uh, um, disagreement over what the contract means and whether it was satisfied or not. There's 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 been a decent amount of consternation over that. You know when it's not done well. And what is the one single biggest issue that you see in prediction markets? and which is not being solved by anyone out there? Yeah, great question. I'd say many, perhaps most of the prediction market applications that you see out there right now, and there's been a lot of great work done. Really looking forward to this space. Uh, it's growing rapidly, and we're seeing a lot of wonderful things happen. But uh, I'd say by and large, a lot of these things can be summed up as betting exchanges. And there's not a thing wrong with that. I mean, that's one way to characterize a prediction market. But that really shortchanges the value of a prediction market when you just have it as a betting exchange um, mm. versus accounting for the cost and value of information. The value here is having a question that you really want answered and you're willing to pay for that and, and offer incentives for people to come tell you. And um, yes, there is speculation where people who know or think that they know will trade an asset back and forth until you have uh, a consensus estimate on on that answer. But if there's anything that I would encourage people, maybe caution people to do, uh, it would be to really drill into the the information value of the prediction markets versus just, you know, providing a platform for people to trade these assets back and forth.
So the information is, is so valuable, but I wonder on the regulation front, is that something we can solve or are we always going to be up against regulatory scrutiny? Well, that's a good question. And, and uh, I'm not a lawyer. I have kind of a layperson's perspective on this, but I have watched this space for quite a while and I'm familiar with some efforts um, seeking regulation or different approaches to bring different market centers to fruition. And uh, yeah, I, I'm optimistic. I think that given the speed uh, that crypto is moving, particularly DeFi, I think that's just inevitable that um, these systems are, are coming. And um, I think many people, myself included, would consider that the U.S. is, um, you know, fairly slow um, uh, relative to some other jurisdictions around the world. So, you know, it's going to be a matter of people saying, OK, well, you know, we'd love to be in the U.S., but for right now, and while things are uh, ambiguous, we're going to work somewhere else and um, continue to lobby and speak with and, and encourage the U.S. government um, uh, in, in uh, you know, sensible oversight. I think what they're afraid of is just, you know, people having this kind of Wild West, you know, market where they, they really do want to, you know, protect um, the participants that they're not being taken advantage of and that, um, you know, there's the right disclosures as far as the, uh, the risks go. Um, mm. But... Um, you know, I, uh, it, the the bar is getting lower. I think you know um, that's something that we're we're not able to announce uh, right now, and we don't have a a plan for when we'll announce that. But we're actively you know doing work um, in different uh, regulatory uh, environments, um, and uh, it's it's just a, a process that takes as long as it takes. Um, but we see some we see some fairly um, efficient. Uh, uh, pass through, um, uh, and uh, so we're we're we're, but we do think that you know ultimately openness wins, and so decentralized systems will prevail. Yeah, the mechanism that Zeitgeist will upgrade via are the prediction markets themselves, which in its in and of itself, that's you know about as it's a pretty decentralized kind of mechanism. Right. It's that the actual actual market is upgrading the chain is dictating the future of like this network in this system. So can you give an example of how that would look to the average user? Yeah, for sure. So the probably the simplest example is like um, a, a code audit. Will will there be bugs found in a, a code release that has these kinds of upgrades by this date and like and then putting a market to that? Right. So. Um, if it's yes, then and and yes is the majority, supermajority, and um, you know that side kind of wins. Then the release will probably be delayed and not implemented. Yeah, I mean, that's like the classic example we use a lot um, because it's pretty practical. Um, people can understand like a prediction market on whether or not a bug is found, um, which would lay a runtime upgrade if like it trades above, let's say, sixty percent yes for for the week seeding the upgrade. Um, so that's one example that we use. There are other examples. Like what's important is to pick metric that you want this governance proposal to change. So like a couple other metrics that you could pick would be daily average transactions, for instance. So you, so you could put up a prediction market that predicts uh, will the daily average transactions exceed some X amount after this runtime upgrade. Hmm. Um, and then people can predict whether or not that runtime upgrade makes the 
chain more usable or user-friendly or just encourages more activity on the chain. I got a question towards that. Like, how can you prevent manipulation in this system? Like, let's say I put up a prediction market when my first Cow's Dao ape is going to sell for above 200 Kusamas. And I predict that it's going to be in February because in February, I know a whale who's going to buy it, for example. How can you save the other people getting into this market from me scamming them because I'm playing uh, fiddle behind the, the scenes? So one aspect would be like liquidity, right? Like in order for people to trade on that, they need liquidity. So if it's just the person who knows the answer, who's providing the liquidity, um, they won't actually end up being any better off um, than they were before. I mean, this also plays into a bit just the nature of what a prediction market is doing. Prediction markets are providing incentive for the information to emerge, like for the person who knows the information to provide that information. So if if it's a market where it's like, you'll sell this NFT um, in February, and you know, you know um, because essentially you've created a deal, then you stand to profit that market um, as, as long as others have provided liquidity to that market. If you basically tell your information, right, by buying um, the yes outcome to that market. With larger amounts. Yeah, like you would be incentivized to basically buy it up to 100%. Yeah. Oh, right. He, he would buy up to 100% the liquidity he provided himself. So that's what you mean. He's no better off, right? Right. Like if you're providing the liquidity, then you're kind of just, you know, you, you're the one who put the money in in the first place so you're uh, basically just shuffling money around um you're not making any money you would need like other people would have to come and want to participate in this market so you might get some people that you know they're just looking at different markets and they might throw some money here throw some money there mm. but if there's no one who has or thinks they have confident information there just wouldn't be liquidity in this market there's another kind of manipulation that's often uh, talked about um, in the context of prediction markets. And so what happens if, let's say you have an election contest and you have the candidates in the market and there's there's a candidate that you like that independent of what, you know, polls say or what you may know about, you know, the, the status of the of the election that you just really want because uh, of this market, you want the perception that they're doing well. So you're just going to Go ahead and, and manipulate this price so that there's this this um, perception out there that uh, your your preferred candidates you know winning and so we would call this or noise trader versus someone acting rationally and and in a in a self aware way making their uh, trading decisions and so there's been a decent amount of research done on this both empirically and in the lab um, one paper in particular called manipulators increase information market accuracy by Robin Hansen. Um, and Ryan Aprea, Robin happens to be the forefather of prediction markets. So it, it's basically a strategy that's a losing strategy because you're you're giving away free money. And so to the extent that the market, you know, people are aware of this market and there's liquidity, you can give away free money all you want to, but the the, the rational traders are just going to come in and, and take that for as long as you feel like giving it away. So you may have a short-term effect on the price, which you can also counter uh, when you're reporting to smooth those things out. If you're making a decision on it, you don't have to necessarily worry about about manipulators like that, but you know, ultimately those those kinds of people um, get taken out by the the people acting rationally. 
Now, we know not every prediction market is the same. Could you introduce us to some of the markets you guys are building on Zeitgeist? One kind of market is a, is a binary market where you have a yes and a no. So you could ask a question um, of will this event uh, happen? And then people are, are um, uh, selecting a yes or no side. Um, you can also do that in a multi-outcome way saying which one of these five candidates will get the nomination. And so you can have a market in those five. And also scaled where you could say, well, how many seats will this particular party win in the election? And then the price corresponds with a seat. So like this contract pays a dollar for every seat that this this party wins in the election, for example. But what's vastly more valuable from an information value point of view is decision contingent outcomes. And this is where futarchy comes in. And so uh, also called decision markets where you can have a, a market that is basically composable. So you have many markets, each with their own bid and ask. But you can link these things together that say, hey, I have a market on people running for an, an election as well as what that election outcome will be. Uh, let's just say in the U.S., it's you know, will a Democrat or Republican win? And then for each party, you, say, you have five nominees uh, hmm. to get that that. Uh, uh, to actually go into the, the general election. And so for each of these five nominees, you could say, well, what's the probability? The thing that I want to know is who's going to win the election. But I want to know contingent on which nominee wins the nomination. And so you you can get a price for, hey, if this, here's maybe a, a, a popular person within this party, but they actually don't have the support in the general election to win. So you you can now make your decision based on hey here's whatever here's the candidate everybody likes but here's the candidate that if they get nominated they'll they're more likely to win and so that is from an information point of view in terms of people looking at what what is happening in these these prediction markets uh, like I said vastly vastly more um, powerful uh, and and valuable than just kind of a binary market because you could you could look at let's say you have a a very large, important, expensive issue, and you're trading on it in a binary way, like, hey, will this will this project launch? And I've got $100 million riding on it. And then the market's telling you no. And you're like, okay, well, that the markets, I believe the markets, they're calibrated, they're accurate. Okay, now why? You know, what do I, what can I do? I've got eight months to, you know, uh, change something so that I can, uh, I want to, I want this project to go live, to be successful. And so, Futarchy gives gives you that information. That's fascinating. Hutch, I saw you post on Twitter that Zeitgeist is going to change the future of DAOs, I think you said. Uh, I'm wondering how this product is going to be used by people in the very beginning, especially people who are trying to fit together uh, decentralized autonomous organizations and are trying to figure out what that even means. Yeah, it's a really good question. And to, to say that, like, Prediction markets could actually influence policy decisions on on super large pools of funds, right? So um, you can imagine that a, a treasury, like it doesn't have to be the Kusama or Polkadot treasury, but that would be nice, has a question on how to make a policy decision on on something to do with the, the pool of funds that a prediction market can um, provide a good answer to. Um, that's, that's one, one way that I think that I could see, um, if, if implement, if implemented correctly. And if like the social consensus was like, we're going to follow what this market decision is, 
um, I can see how how that could be one way that it, it could influence. Are you guys going to have tools specific to DAOs built into the product in the very beginning? So we probably won't have like a full suite of tools for DAOs um, at launch. For instance, what we're focusing on first is the prediction market uh, primitives. So we have three different uh, classes of prediction markets that we want to enable with Zeitgeist. These are the categorical market, which is um, trading outcomes on different categories, whether these are people in an election or horses in a race. There's the scalar markets, which um, trade ranges of numbers. So you could say like, uh, what will Bitcoin trade at on this date? Um, and then the range is zero to $100,000. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, as David mentioned earlier, the composable markets, which is really where things get interesting. This is kind of like the first base layer um, that we're focusing on, as well as uh, kind of the dispute mechanism mm -hmm. as well, uh, which we have uh, a decentralized court, uh, which secures the Oracle results. A lot of the markets will trade on um, outside world uh, you know, predictions. Uh, we, need, we need a way to get the result afterward. Um, so uh, an Oracle to submit the result um, and then we can have different um, types of oracles, um, but we also need to secure those results with the courts. Um, so that's like the that's like the base layer that we're, we'll have at launch, um, and then from there, so going through going to post-launch, uh, we're going to start working on first Futarchy tools for Zeitgeist itself, um, so that we can govern Zeitgeist according to Futarchy, and then branching out from there. One thing that is on the top of the list since we have cross-chain communication on Kusama, we we can enable um, if another parachain opts into it and chooses to uh, kind of follow Zeitgeist's lead into on-chain Futarchy, uh, they could use Zeitgeist to opt into that. Could you try to explain to my grandma or my seven-year-old daughter what Futarchy is in a month, a one-minute rundown? Futarchy is really just prediction market-based uh, governance. Um, so using the, the signal and information we can extract using a prediction market to inform or, in certain cases, to enforce a governance decision. First time I heard the word Futarchy was Gavin Wood said it in a 2018 Sub-Zero or something like that. It seems like it's kind of growing in zeitgeist and potentially it can take over the rest of the ecosystem, eh? Yeah, what's what's really interesting to me too about Futarchy is it's not something that's kind of tucked away in a lab as David's put it before. It's a, a real mechanism that can, can work. So how is the beta going? Are you finding that users are wrapping their head around these concepts? Yeah, so overall, we've been super excited about the response we've gotten to the beta. Um, so, we, so we were working on it for for a while. One thing we prioritized was usability and making it as optimized for a user as possible. Um, so we were hoping when we launched it, we would see, see activity on it. Still, we're pretty surprised that the amount of activity, but also the quality of activity were, was so, just so high. Yeah, even going into it, I thought it would take like a week. But even on the first day, we saw people creating markets. And it wasn't like they were just you know, putting a random idea in there uh, they were putting very interesting questions in there like what was the most standing idea you saw as a created market so the initial one that um you know made me smile because i i could see people were 
people, you know, understood the idea was um, someone someone made a market on uh, whether or not the U.S. Uh, I forget which governmental body, but one of the, the U.S. government essentially would they acknowledge aliens by yeah. the end of the year? Um, so that one was really nice to see. It was something that we didn't think of. We did a lot of brainstorming before uh, launching beta, so we'd have market ideas. Um, but that one came from the community, and it was great to see. But um, over the after that, over the next couple of weeks, it was really great to see also markets around like Polkadot governance as well, like things that are happening in the Polkadot or Kusama ecosystems. I think it was a great way to onboard the right people via the NFT drops and how you structured it all. So uh, very, very good kudos to you guys, how you structured that and set it up. Like you got the right people who got a little bit of depth in the Kusama ecosystem and know what they're doing to enter your beta phase early on. Yeah, that was um, definitely a big aim of ours with the, the NFT launch. And it was also, um, we also wanted to, to do the NFT launch um, so that we could kind of throttle the users into the beta. We didn't want a dump of users kind of like we had on the Kusama Derby. Um, and mm -hmm. something that's been really amazing to me, I, I kind of asked the tech team to, we don't have any like serious kind of analytics or tracking stuff on our side or apps and never will. But uh, we kind of we have a way to see like how many interactions that people are doing in the app, and it, it looks like that um, like there it basically it looks like with the amount of NFTs we have, we have almost the same amount of users as in NFTs on a daily basis for like the last two weeks um, on our beta, actually interacting with it and doing things. Um, at least the sessions point to that, which is pretty amazing to me. That's great. You got quality people right there. Um... Talking about your NFT tarot cards, is there any any plans to use them in later testing phases or later entrances to special markets or anything alike? Yeah, we've definitely discussed a few things. Um, I, I think nothing set in stone. Like they're for now, they are what they are. Um, but we we really think that there's um, some some cool ways that we can do some things with them in the future for sure. Um, I've even, um, there's, there's a collaboration, I guess we'll kind of wait until we do an announcement about who we're collaborating with, but there's kind of an, a, an additional kind of like civil mechanism that we can put in place that will allow us to actually drill down even further into like real users of, of platforms so that we, we don't get bot attacked for kind of further incentives and stuff like that. And I think, um, th those are definitely going to be a way where it's like, we want users to be able to own like multiple cards of the NFTs, but then we want to also like be able to drill down to like, okay, who are the real users? Like we don't need to know who you are ain't on, but we at least want to know you're a person. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to clear up a few things about the beta, just as far as the liquidity goes, because the team has been providing liquidity for markets that I guess you guys think are cool. But in the real world off beta, if somebody wants to create a market, there's two ways to get liquidity. Either they want the answer so bad that they'll provide it themselves, or it becomes something that's so interesting to the public that other people will provide as well. Is is that right? Yeah. Um, so there's also, so yeah, this is a bit into um, some of the research we've been doing in different types of market makers. Um, so on the beta right now, we use um, a, uh, CPMM, which is uh, constant product market maker. Um, it's essentially the same as Balancer, uh, which is kind of just a multi-asset Uniswap. 
Um, so the goal, one of the goals would be um, to uh, make liquidity providing um, at least sometimes uh, profitable to the person providing the liquidity. Okay. Um, so there's a couple ways we've been tackling this. So one way is through um, a small amount of uh, annual inflation on Zeitgeist, um, which can be directed by governance at uh, one or multiple markets or all the markets on the network um, and provides um, like a liquidity mining incentive um, for the people providing liquidity. Yeah. Um, so they'll be able to earn you know, through fees, but also earn through this network-wide liquidity incentive program. But the also the other ways with some research we've been doing into uh, Robin Hansen's LMSR uh, market maker. So we made some additions uh, and like called it Rakito. And one of the big benefits is that it's just a completely different, like, yeah, completely different model of like uh, providing liquidity. Um, so, like with the CPMM based markets, you have to basically put the liquidity in market maker before it. Um, anyone can trade on that market. Um, so it requires kind of like a reserve of liquidity. Uh, with Rikido and the LMSR, um, this initial reserve uh, uh, is, is minimized um, and it adapts more to the amount of activity. Um, so even if there's a small amount of liquidity, um, if there's more um, people who even do small amounts of trades, over time the uh, kind of builds up the reserve and uh, you can make larger and larger trades on it. Gotcha. Uh, do, do you have any advice for people, interesting ways to look at these markets, interesting ways to find opportunities that you can share with our listeners? Sure. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's a great way to um, make the market prices uh, more efficient. And, you know, as people come in, uh, we love to see that. And, and other, other strategies would be, um, uh, you know, we have uh, different tags uh, on the market. And so I, I suggest to people is, is focus in on the area where you feel like you've got a particular advantage, you know, information advantage. Maybe, you know, you're really into, um, uh, you know, a particular domain like politics or like what's happening in the crypto space uh, and, and start with those because, you know, um, uh, at least against, you know, an average uh, um, participant, you, you would have an edge. Um, and then, um, I'd say uh, uh, another strategy is is um, adding markets, um, and something we 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 understand is is quite powerful is uh, people's ability to say, "Hey, here's something that um, I uh, I feel like if uh, would be a good market, and I feel like if this market existed, it could really aggregate some some good intelligence." And and um, uh, so using your expertise to define. A market that other people might find interesting and, and want to participate in, um, and that that uh, perhaps a decision maker could use um, when when making making a decision or getting insight into that outcome. So I'd probably focus on on the um, uh, you know areas where you have an informational advantage, as well as like you said, um, where the markets maybe are out of whack because you know a bunch of folks who are were less aware than you were came in and 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 um, made the markets inefficient temporarily, and you can you know you have a an opportunity to come in and profit off of off of off of that. Yeah, like I will say on 
on the beta markets right now. Um, Cause I, th- I think part of the reason might be there isn't, you know, real money on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tendency uh, for the markets uh, to become efficient, uh, meaning that uh, the sum of all the prices of um, all the assets in the market uh, equal more than one. Uh, and yeah, this doesn't make sense because the, um, you, you can at any time while the market's open, uh, you can generate a full set of the market outcomes for one uh, ZBS on the testnet. Um, and then you can also sell back a full set of the market outcomes for one ZBS. Um, so as soon as they start to sum uh, more than one, or, or even in cases less than one, um, there's a arbitrage opportunity um, just on that market itself um, to correct that inefficiency. Gotcha. And just for everybody listening, you have four main topics right now, sports, governance, politics, and crypto. Since the last time I checked this, you guys have had so many markets opened here as well. I guess people are really excited about this. I have been excited about Zeitgeist for a while. I was seeing it was hitting close to 200. I don't know if we've already gone past that now, but the, the proposals people were sending me and the numbers were closer to 200. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's awesome to see. That's wild. Now, I wonder, is there a market yet? on when Zeitgeist will be going for a pair chain slot. I was just about to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think someone did open some something like that. It was something like the end of the week or something. I, I don't remember exactly, but, but it was a time-based market someone opened. Yeah, I, they, I think they just opened it um, earlier this week. They asked um, if we'll announce our crowd loan by the end of the week. Um, but we haven't put liquidity there yet. Oh, <laughs> nice. Can you give us some alpha on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so, uh, well, I, I guess like the the best alpha we can give is just, um, so on our website, uh, we put uh, aiming for Q3 or Q4 this year. Um, and we still are uh, on track and planning to deploy uh, by the end of the year. Um, and at this point, it's uh, in quite close, so yeah, you should expect some more information on that soon. Nice. And it seems like you guys are mostly interested in working in the Kusama ecosystem. I saw a little bit, like maybe you'll go to DOT later on. But I'm just curious uh, what you guys think about the current state of Kusama and how you guys think you're going to fit in there. I think we had the we really had the advantage of seeing Kusama come to fruition um, before a large majority of I think the projects that we're already planning to build on Polkadot did, and we also have the advantage of understanding that Kusama is going to have a, a bridged. I mean, myself and Logan both working at the Web3 Foundation, we're very close to the happenings and what what was going on within the ecosystem. So understanding that a bridged uh, relay chain between Kusama and Polkadot kind of also gave us, okay, this understanding that there's going to be the shared liquidity from Polkadot chain and Kusama, like the kind of vision of true cross-chain collaboration. Um, But I think we're also fans of just the faster moving governance, the the more kind of like experimental nature type of things. Um, We want to be able to, to deploy multiple experimental type of features on the network, I believe. So it, it's kind of like the the ethos of the network um, resonates with us as well. Um, but yeah, I would say those are the kind of couple of reasons. 
where do you see Zeitgeist in like three years? And what kind of predictions would be made on Zeitgeist and what kind of outcomes would we see in the real life world from those? Three years time is a, a, a long, long time in crypto, I feel like. So I, I hope to see that, um, you know, Zeitgeist is a fully community owned protocol that has, you know, at, at least tens, if not hundreds of different applications running on top of the, the network in different formats. Um, you know, I, I mean, I want to see the main Zeitgeist application be something really fruitful as well, but um, I, I hope to see lots of experimentation and, and really the, the, the core kind of theme behind what Zeitgeist is, is a, a network for other prediction market apps and, and um, specific use cases to be um, built on top of. It's, it basically is providing all the primitives for a good prediction market and we'll build you know the first one and maybe the first few ones but um i hope to see it become a, a fully community-owned network david I'd, I'd be interested to know your answer to that question you've been paying attention to this concept for i guess almost two decades now must be very exciting to have people using the beta where do you see this all going in the next few years it absolutely is exciting. I think one of the things you're going to see unfold over the, over the three years is, you know, right now you can create uh, a market on Zeitgeist, but that's going to um, continue to evolve where, you know, instead of creating a, um, a market that you want, you're going to create a space where maybe you want to have a community, like Hutch said, we want to see a thousand prediction markets bloom. It's really about, you know, Zeitgeist being this network where you can, we can create your own spaces on the, on the network. Uh, to have communities and sub-communities um, uh, participating in these in these questions. So, you know, it's going to go from creating a market to creating sort of, a, you know, a, another space where you can have autonomy to, to do things yourself. I think we're, we're also going to see, um, as that happens, organizations and, and groups, DAOs, people managing treasuries, that will quantify the value that they've gotten from using Zeitgeist, which is very important and we're, we're, we're keenly focused on. So being able to say, hey, you know, I, I had these decisions and I put them to the Zeitgeist network and was able to get value out of it. And so it's helped me, you know, generate this amount of money or, or save this, this amount. Um, so you're going to see those kinds of things in particular. Exciting stuff. Logan, you've been working hard at this. When, when do you lay down the keyboard? When do you know your work is finished? What does Zeitgeist look like in its final form? I don't know if this is will be when I lay down the keyboard, but um, I think what I would like to see Zeitgeist become is to be kind of like a fully functioning um, futarchy um, that actually uh, dictates um, how it evolves. Um, so how so the runtime is changed, how new code gets introduced. I mean, right now and probably you know, going into the near term future, uh, the the team and uh, Zeitgeist Foundation will have a big say into how Zeitgeist is evolving. But one goal for sure is to have this be a decentralized network that is able to leverage um, the, the governance and the prediction markets to basically evolve itself. So that's one aspect of like, you know, kind of the meta, like what Zeitgeist, uh, you know, how it evolves. But there's like a bunch of other things, like I think in the e more ecosystem and tooling um, that we want to do. One of these things is building our app. One thing we're, we wanted to do during beta was to find the bugs, but also to just get a lot of usage reports because our goal is to create at least something that's 
as good as Web2 prediction platforms, if not something better. And then another one is uh, one thing we're focusing on more going into next year is also like analytics, using the activity on Zeitgeist, collecting that data and using it in a useful way. Um, comp either comparing Zeitgeist and the predictions on Zeitgeist to other platforms, judging the accuracy of markets on these platforms, but then over time developing predictor profiles on uh, even specific user accounts and being able to score them based on how accurate their predictions are. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Thank you to all three of our guests. It was so great having you on and, and getting to ask you all these questions. I thank you also for building this platform for the entire community. I know everybody's been excited about it since uh, pretty much the spring. So really glad to see all this adoption on the beta. And we definitely look forward to seeing you in the crowd loans. We'll have everybody's socials down below as well as a link to the beta. Thank you for listening to the Space Monkeys podcast. We will be blasting off again on another topic soon. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you all for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it.